This is Mark Fletcher, and welcome to my world. Welcome to Southern Tales, Tall and Otherwise. Funerals in the South are not like anywhere else. For one thing, food is imperative. A friend of mine's grandmother even made and froze a hot chicken salad casserole to be eaten at her own funeral. He told me that she did not want us having a gathering at her house where she didn't contribute anything. And like I say, it's just a Southern thing. Sit back and enjoy. This episode is sponsored by the best children's book for adults of 2019. Headley Outsmarts the World contains 25 original watercolor paintings by Ross Webb, England's top illustrator, and a story that both kids and adults will find heartwarming, funny, and a teachable moment. Find Headley Outsmarts the World at H-E-D-L-E-Y, Outsmarts the World at Amazon.com, or follow the link on our page at broadneckmusic.com. Com. Southern Tales, Episode 8, The Funeral. Now, tonight we're going to get a little bit morbid, but of course in a Southern kind of way. Now, death in the South is almost as full of life as, well, life. You hear lots of different stories and rumors, but this is a true story. But wait. If you haven't listened to previous episodes, like I always say, come on, man, pause this thing and go back and listen. These stories are building a foundation, and there's characters here that we've introduced in previous episodes that you'll want to know more about. And, and, and the foundation we're building of all the people, personalities, and places, trust me, in eventual seasons, it will paint a picture of absolute craziness, stupidity, sex, drugs, death, and of course, rock and roll. I lived the life, heard these stories, and here still to talk about it. Not many of these folks are. Stories about me, my family, brothers, sisters, cousins, aunts, uncles. Some are actually even related to me, and some might as well be. And while there may be some disputes about the actual facts, this is the way that I remember it. In my opinion, every goddamn word is true. Growing up, I never wanted to think of death. It did not seem real, or at least I didn't want to believe it could be real, or that 
it could happen to anyone that I knew. When I was 11, my grandfather died. I refused to admit it or acknowledge it. I didn't want to think about it. I, I was so hidden inside my own feelings, and I convinced my parents that I, I, I couldn't attend the funeral in Maryland due to missing too much school, although it was like the first week, and I really wouldn't have missed anything. My mom was so overwhelmed that they just left me with the neighbors. He he had been my idol my whole life, and I just I I could not imagine a world without him. Um, in eighth grade, a classmate got hit by a car and was killed, but I, I barely knew her. And while I felt awful, mostly because she won an award that I felt should have been mine, I was able to avoid the whole death thing once more. But around eighteen or nineteen years old, funerals started coming to me. A guy I played tennis with had a tragedy when his dad called his mom one night from another room in their own house and told her he was going to end it all and then shot himself with a shotgun. I, I liked Jim, and we played tennis a lot, and I felt terrible, and I I knew that I had to go to the funeral home. I um, convinced my friend James that he needed to go with me because I just, I, I don't know, and it was sad. And, and there was all those folks looking at the closed coffin and all those old ladies sitting in the front row, you know, gossiping, I think, while they held tissues in their hand. Um, then there was a guy I worked with who, who had a father die. And, and so back to the funeral home, I, I went to visit. And you stand in line and all those people and, you know, they're talking about how great the person was. And anyway, I couldn't really even look at the body. And so I, I, I passed by that and talked to my co-worker and left. Though not without noticing the old ladies in the front row and gossiping while they held tissues uh, in their hands. Not long after, another friend of mine lost a parent and I had to make the trek back to the funeral home. Once again, I passed by the coffin without looking. And there was a group of folks gathered around it talking about how good she looks. Some folks touched her face. Some folks stroked her shoulders and her hair. I don't think she cared, but it seemed a little sick to me. And of course, before leaving, I noticed those same old ladies. They were sitting in the front row, gossiping while they held tissues in their hands. I just couldn't believe how these same four or five old ladies could know everyone and be at every funeral. I had to ask, and my older brother told me, he said, yeah, um, those ladies, they, they're they professional funeral goers. They, they go to every funeral. Um, they get up every day. They get dressed for a funeral, and they go down to the funeral home, and they sit down. The funeral director even reserved their seats. Can you believe there were professional funeral crashers in my hometown? Seriously, that's their life. Now, I I never been to a graveside service or even a true funeral service. I would just slide by during what they called the viewing. In some places, they would say, dude will be laid out Thursday at 2 p.m. Laid out. That sounds a lot like laid back. It really doesn't seem respectful to me, but to those folks and their culture is just what it was. I had managed to avoid all of those things, these things that I refused to let myself think about or even acknowledge. But as with most things, things that go around come around, and with me it was no different. 
Now, there were some funerals that later in life I would secretly hope I would get to attend, mostly because I thought it would do the world good if these folks were gone. One such guy was named Mr. Mills. Nothing against him, but for me, the situation wasn't good. I was a young manager in the company, and he was an old superintendent. In fact, he'd been there 50 years. I'm just out of college. He was an institution. Unfortunately, college boy, he worked for me. He intimidated me from day one. I I was scared to talk to him. He gave me such a just evil look like, stay away. And he was country, so, you know, you know, just probably capable of anything. Um, his big problem was that he didn't want to use new technology. He still used witching sticks to locate utilities. He didn't want to use, you know, laser levels and transits to shoot elevations. He would eyeball stuff. Hey, and that was fine with me. I don't, I didn't care, whatever. Until my boss told me that I was going to have to do his evaluation and I better get it right. Damn. Okay, so the day came, and I went down to the warehouse to do Mr. Mills' evaluation. I walked into his office, most likely visibly shaking. I told him, hey, I'm here to do your evaluation. He didn't say a word. I sat down. I said, hey, listen, I'm just going to read it, and uh, then you can write any comments when I get finished. Again, silence. I was absolutely petrified. So I read off all of his inadequacies and gave him a 2.5 out of 5. I said, "Uh, this means your grade is unsuccessful. Silence. Then I told him that I needed him to sign the evaluation. He did not move. But he uttered these most famous words. This is like two men pissing in the snow. He stared at me. I picked up the paper and walked out, shaking. And to this day, to this day, and I've told the story many times, I don't know what the hell he meant. I've asked a million people. This podcast is my last shot to know. If you have any idea about West Tennessee jargon, I beg you to email and let me know, and then I'll share it with the world stalespodcast at gmail.com or you can hit me up on the Facebook page. But back to funerals. My day eventually came. Once I got to Memphis State, of course, I liked girls. And that, you know, got me a pretty pretty great girlfriend, really. I mean, Carol was pretty super in most every way. And I'm sure we'll tell some Carol stories later, including the night her best friend Debbie Connor spoke in tongues to my friend Shane. But for now... Uh, We're talking about Carol. Now, her parents were both from the mountains of North Alabama. I think they called that the Tri-Cities or the Triad. It was like Albertville, Gunnersville, Arab, Boaz. That sounds like four, doesn't it? It doesn't matter. They were all there together. I'd never heard of the place. But to them, it was a Garden of Eden, and they always liked to go back to the mountain. And so not long after we started dating, her grandfather died. Man, she was sad. I mean, I can I remember how I felt when my grandfather died and 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 there was no way I could avoid taking her to the mountain for the funeral and and whatnot. And she had three older, bigger brothers who scared me quite a bit. More on them later. But right now, me and Carol drove our car her car to the mountain. And it was a mountain. 
her little Renault Alliance had a hard time making it up the hill. I mean, I, I, I don't know how big the hill was or how high or what elevation, but that Renault Alliance, which was the 1981 car of the year, could not hardly make it up the hill. Um, and we got up to the mountain. Her grandparents' house, it was no mansion. It was like a square, two or three bedroom country, country place, you know, just a wood frame farming house. Um, we got there, there was already a crowd, little dirt driveway, lots of pick em up trucks. Uh, we walked in to the small wood frame house and right there in the room to the left of the front door is the dining room. And right there against the wall in the dining room is a casket with our grandfather staring straight up. And right down the way past his feet is a 10 foot long table full of food. Must have been four different fried chickens, ten casseroles of various flavors, lunch, meat, and white bread, with more desserts than you could shake a stick at. And people with little paper plates just using those little colored toothpicks to pick up little different things and swipe big fat spoons full of casserole onto their plates. And there was some little girl handing out punch or something, some kind of colored liquid or I don't know. It's at the end of the table and she was smiling and happy and everybody was talking and, and all the folks were standing there in front of grandpa while they were eating their food and holding their plates and sipping punch and discussing the weather and all sorts of mundane subjects. It seemed like barely anyone noticed grandpa. It seemed to me that his feelings might be hurt. I mean, he's waited his whole life to die and now he's not even the star of the show. The food is. But even as casual as everyone was, I just, for some reason, could not force myself to eat while Grandpa watched, and I'd never even met Grandpa until that day. I convinced Carol to go into town, and we got some Alabama barbecue for dinner. Man, more than anything else, I just wanted to get out of that house. It, it had a dead smell, or, okay, maybe I imagined it, but just the whole vibe was morbid. I, I, I... I guess it should have been, but you haven't heard the worst yet. Seriously. The next day was the big funeral day. I had no idea what to expect. You see, first, they have this little ceremony at the house. And, and like the old preacher comes in and like the family gathers around the food table and, and the casket. And, 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 and the preacher, seriously, he looks like he should be in a coffin with grandpa, right? He comes in and he, he kneels at the task, casket and he waves his arms over Grandpa. And I, you know, I was wondering if he was willing Grandpa to get up, but Grandpa didn't move, you know. And preacher, he hugged, turned and hugged on Grandma. And he said some words about Jesus and love and resurrection and avoiding hellfire and brimstone or something like that. Then he was going to close the lid. Immediately, Grandma ran by him and jumped on Grandpa. She was crying and screaming and moaning, moaning. Inside, I was watching and thinking that maybe Grandpa might be the lucky one here, getting away from all that drama. But anyway, they got Grandma off of Grandpa, and, and, and they got the lid shut. Some big hillbillies loaded Grandpa on the back of an old hearse, and off we all went down to the bleeding heart of Jesus Christ Baptist Church. I think that was the name, but I, I could have it wrong. It, it, it really don't matter. There, everything got put in place. There were all the little old ladies in the front row. Now, not the same old ladies from my hometown, but they look similar. You get the picture. And they were crying before the festivities or before Grandma or Grandpa even got there. Of course, the preacher opened up the casket again so Grandpa could hear 
all the great things that the preacher was saying about him. Then at the end, he announced it was time to shut the lid on Grandpa again. He tried to block Grandma, but she outsmarted him and juked him to the right as he went to the left, and, and, and all of a sudden, I mean, Herschel Walker would have been proud as Grandma once again landed on Grandpa. All the screaming and wailing and moaning started again as most folks looked on in approval, like maybe that's what you ought to do at an Alabama mountain funeral. I wondered if there was an elementary class on how Alabama funerals ought to be and your responsibilities as a grieving spouse. Anyway, they managed to get Grandma off of Grandpa again, and off it went to the cemetery. Now you're probably thinking, ain't no way they're going to open that lid again. But you'd be wrong. Because they got that sucker open one last time, right there in the tent and the hole and the pile of dirt and Grandma sitting in the front row. And again, I'm sure that the old preacher wanted Grandpa to hear all the good stuff he was about to say about him again. This time at the end, they had the casket blocked when he said he was about to close it. Grandma stood quiet, quietly and then looked up at the heavens and said something about seeing God's hand coming down. And we all looked up as Grandma beat it to the casket. Jumped in with Grandpa and six guys had the prior loose. I mean, it was just a heck of a display. I mean, she probably got awarded the highest medal of honor for Alabama funeral for that whole performance. And, and then they had to lower the casket in the hole. And I mean, as slow as possible. It, it just... It must have took 20 minutes to, to lower that sucker. And it was just crazy. I mean, Grandma had to get some Gatorade just to keep generating all those tears. You know, a refill. In the end, I knew that I had just learned a lesson. If I ever lived in Alabama, be sure to die before my spouse. Because I just don't think I could live up to what they expect there. For the liner notes to this episode and all episodes of the Southern Tales podcast, please go to broadneckmusic.com. Here you will find out more info about this episode and perhaps a bit more depth. You will also find out more about our kick-ass theme music from T.R. Crooks, a little band from Paris, Tennessee, recorded in 1977. Our contact email address, as always, is stalespodcast at gmail.com. Emails, questions, thoughts, corrections, and hey, if you're brave enough, relate your stories, and eventually we'll have an episode, or maybe episodes, with your stories. And of course, if you get enough questions at the end of Season 1, we'll have a Q&A episode. Remember, new episode every Monday. Once again, thanks for listening, and please tell a friend about all the fun we're having. See you next week on Southern Tales. 